0: I am beyond excited to be partnering with Taste of London, the city's biggest and best food and drink festival for this special four-part series. Bringing together some of the best restaurants, bars and superstar chefs of London for five days of feasting in Regent's Park, you get up close and personal with some of your favourites at wonderful immersive experiences such as the Diners Club Cook School, Fire Pit with Food Network and a whole host of masterclasses, wine tastings, and so much more. So, what's stopping you? Book your tickets for the festival, which is on from the 15th to the 19th of June, and you may even get a chance to see yours truly. Use my code SEXYFOOD to get a complimentary premium bottled cocktail from Tales with every ticket. Book now at tasteoflondon.com Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career and their favourite tastes along the way. Today I'm joined by Genevieve Taylor, The Live Fire and Barbecue Expert. Yes, that is a job title and I am very much here for it. Genevieve is the author of 12 cookbooks, including the bestseller Chard, which is a complete guide to vegetarian barbecue. She also has a new cookbook that we are going to be talking about soon. She's the chair of the Guild of Food Writers, a regular on one of my favourite shows, the BBC Food Programme, and is a judge on the BBC's Food and Farming Awards. She's a regular taste of London chef and will be found, no doubt, by the famous fire pit. Genevieve, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food.
1: Hi, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for having it's me. It's
0: very nice to have you. <laughs> we, we, we are recording in slightly um, unique circumstances. You have hurt yourself a little bit and she okay. is a trooper and Genevieve yeah. has still come along for the recording. So thank yeah. you so much. It's a pleasure. Although you may be horizontal. I am completely
1: time. horizontal, <laughs> <laughs> but nobody will know that. <laughs>
0: exactly, it's fine. So I always <clears> kick <throat> things off with
1: asking my guests what they had for breakfast today. Uh, I had uh, Marmite on toast and two yes. black poppies. Yes. Yeah. My kind of woman. Yeah.
0: <laughs> God, I love Marmite. I know, um too. I don't know if I don't know how much of a Marmite fan you are, but have you tried all of the different variations of Marmite that are out there in the world? Do you
1: know what I haven't because I feel I feel quite kind of purist about Marmite. I'm not purist okay. about many things, but I just feel like I like my Marmite straight up Marmite. Okay. Yeah. Um i I might be wrong. Mar- Tell me I'm wrong. Well,
0: <laughs> I'll just tell you two things I've had recently. Well, one of them's been out for a while, but I'm quite partial to the Marmite peanut butter collab.
1: Oh, well, now you say that I put actual peanut butter on my toast and then a little bit of Marmite on top. And my husband thinks I'm absolutely barking mad (laughs) and he won't try it. But yeah, I like that kind of actual crunchy peanut butter and marmite such a good combo so good Mm. um and
0: then my other discovery which ruined my life and my waistline (laughs) um was the marmite hot cross buns that came out for easter weird (laughs) yeah but they were like they were like cheddar flavored hot cross buns with marm that marmite taste and i ate the whole packet not one person had a look in Wow. I ate all of
1: them. interesting. Yeah, yeah I know.
0: <laughs> anyway, there we go. So you are recording from Bristol, is that correct?
1: I am, yes, from my and, uh, sofa.
0: <laughs> and how is Bristol? What have you been up to over the past few weeks? Uh,
1: so, like, this time of year is silly season for in barbecue world, so it's just, I'm absolutely flat out. Um, I, I run the Bristol Fire School, so I teach people how to cook with fire um so I've had loads of classes um this book's just come out so there's been lots of promo and kind of you know stuff around that so yeah super busy at the moment
0: and I guess it's not going to be stopping really isn't it because things are no, going into summer and... exactly
1: I reckon I reckon I'm looking at about November before I get a chill <laughs> wow
0: okay that's okay it's I like
1: yeah I like being
0: busy it's fine So I want to take it a little bit back uh, Mm. to your childhood to kind of start things off. You were born in Cornwall um, and I know that you were raised in a few other places. But I Mm. want to know what life was like growing up. What were you eating? Mm. Who was cooking? Mm. You know, how did food play a part in your life? Kind of
1: paint the picture. So... I was always really interested in food and cooking and just sort of eating as well really. I, one of my very earliest memories was lying on a beach in St Ives. I guess I must have been about five um, and my dad my granddad gave me 50 pence to go and buy whatever I wanted with it which in my in those days was like masses of money. It was like yeah I got 50p <laughs> and I, I spent about I spent about an hour on the beach just sort of fantasising about what I could buy, what it would taste like, what I actually wanted to choose, you know. And it was just like like a really vivid memory. I can't now remember what I did have, but I just remember the whole process of like, what am I going to spend this on? Um, So, yeah, always greedy. Uh, My mum, my parents split up when I was about 10, 9, 10. And then from that moment on... um, my mum was sort of single working mum. Me and my brother were absolutely one hundred percent expected to help get dinner on the table every day because she was at work. She was a dental nurse, um, so we cooked. You know, not not just the kind of cupcakes and stuff that 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 you sort of associate with kids. You know, from from nine ten, I was cooking kind of full family meals, and um, and I just sort of discovered I was quite good at it really and um, and uh yeah so I've always always cooked but I'm not I'm not a trained cook I'm totally self-taught and I'm not actually I I don't know I mean obviously I'm sort of some sort of professional but actually my uh my first line of work I'm a biologist by training um and I used to used to work as a wildlife television producer and I did that for 10 years when I left university. that's kind of how come I ended up in Bristol because that's the sort of center of it um, in the u k uh, and then I'm probably waffling on there, but then I, um then I had my little boy who's now nearly eighteen and six foot one um, and wow, you look very
0: young to have an 18 year old boy. <laughs> maybe it's because I'm laying down. I'm not very young. <laughs> you but
1: look like yeah. you're glowing <laughs> yeah just, just glowing, you know. um it's because I haven't done anything all day but lay on the sofa uh I recommend it um so yeah I had my boy and um gave up my telly career at that point because I no longer it was no longer possible for me to travel the world even if I wanted to uh so but I super quickly worked out I'm not I'm not cut out for full time mothering. I think I would have, you know, it would have kind of gone wrong for me in my head. Um, So from when he was about six, eight weeks old, I started doing little bits of work and I got myself, um, I got myself a stall at the Slow Food Market in Bristol, which is just a monthly kind of market. And and I spent all month when he was napping, kind of making chilli sauces and jams and chutneys and stuff and then once a month I'd go and sell them at the market um, with him and his tier with his little dummy in. It was, uh, It's really sweet. Uh, and then I met somebody there on the stall next to me who was a caterer and we formed a catering company and it just all sort of spiralled from that really. Um, and I've been... I mean, typical kind of working mum portfolio career. I've been doing bits and bobs and bits and bobs, you know, and just building it and building it. And I've done a lot of work as a food stylist over the years. Um, And then through that, I got a break to write my first book, which was 11 years ago now. My first book came out in 2011. Um, So, yeah, very much bits and bobs. And I think the last sort of six books have been all very kind of fire and outside centric uh and that was partly because um you know when you've got when you've got kids you've got to feed the little sods three times a day and actually it's (laughs) being like that domestic thing is really boring so for me Mm. like day in day out day in day out and this was somebody who loved cooking you know I can't imagine what it's like for somebody who isn't as passionate about cooking and eating um so I started to take the cooking process outside into the garden because it was just a very selfish way for me to make my life a little bit more interesting essentially that you know that's why I did it and when they were little they'd come out and help and it was just like an activity we did that happened to then put dinner on the table um and I got hooked on it, you know, and I think it's partly because of my sort of background in biology and stuff. I'm, I'm really an outside person. I'm much happier outside than I am inside. So it just feels like it's all sort of coming back full circle to the things that I love. And, um, and fire is just so addictive, you know, it's just an amazing way to inject a little bit of adventure in like day to day life. So that, that's it in a nutshell
0: gosh that was that was one of the most informative answers I've had you so you, you've answered all the questions were basically yeah. done thank hmm. you very much no I'm okay. joking yeah I know and breathe um I guess um well first and foremost not food related but you're literally speaking my language because Mm. I don't have children yet Mm. um and and when I say yet I just I'm sort of quite open about sort of being quite on the fence about having children and it was interesting hearing you talk about sort of how you make it work while still you know working providing possibly, you know, creating new avenues for yourself and still sort of how your child fits in with that. Because that's something that I'm really sort of like yeah. having those conversations with myself and also yeah. my husband.
1: I mean, I think and if so... you if you want to make it work, you make it work. And, you know, my children are one of the best things I ever did. And I, I guess what I hope is that they. I work really, really hard. Uh, and I hope that that's giving them a good role model you know both my son Absolutely. and my daughter you know I want my daughter to realize actually you can yes it's a dreadful juggle at some points but you can do the things that you yeah. want to do if you put in the hours and um uh, and I work super hard um and it's and it's great for my son to see it as well because I don't want him to think that you know women's place is in the home or whatever totally, you know, totally. people should be free to make the life choices that they want to make and um Hopefully they won't say I've been a dreadful mother. We have a lot of fun.
0: I'm sure you do. (laughs) And I guess, um, you know, I really love sort of the organic process that sort of got you to the point where you're at. Yeah. And I guess, you know, what I really want to talk about is sort of more present day, which is this idea of what you really do focus on nowadays, which is working around open fire, heat, flames, barbecue, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And sort of dissecting it a little bit because when I think of barbecue, I think of two things. One, I simply just think of summer and Mm. having a barbecue every so often with my family and friends. Mm. And then there's the other side, which is um, more the sort of like, I guess it's now become like a cuisine, Mm. which is going to some fabulous place, maybe in America and the Southern States and having some of the best brisket I've probably ever eaten in my life. But sort of, you know, This type of cooking isn't necessarily just for summer for a social occasion. Talk to us about why it is
1: just so great. Well, I mean, throw it back thousands of years. So fire is the original cooking tool you know it's where it all started it's actually what makes us human because when we learnt to harness the power of fire and cook our food we suddenly gained more energy from food than we had when we were just eating raw food berries and so on so um and that then evolved into us being humans because it changed our physiology and and then our brains and you know we could live together in bigger communities and we'd have more energy and ultimately then we had more sex and we had more babies and like the whole thing spiraled in a kind of evolutionary sense. Um, so taking it back to that kind of founding principle of fire cooking, there's not a country on this planet that doesn't have a history of cooking with fire. So you can find it in all four corners of the globe, you know? So for me, that is really exciting um, that, you can draw your inspiration from all over the world. And, you know, I've done a lot of traveling in my life and, and I love kind of, you know, taking snippets of different kind of spices and sort of stuff like that. Um, so that's exciting. And the other thing I think that when you get good at cooking with fire and you feel more confident with it and you understand a bit of the science and the physics of heat and how fire works, actually fire is simply the heat source just like your gas oven or your induction hob. You know, it's just the heat source. And if you learn how to harness that heat source in slightly different ways um, by trapping in different types of heat, you know, convection currents, if you put a lid on and kind of indirect heat and direct heat and so on. Actually, you can cook absolutely anything over fire. And um, at my fire school classes, we always make a cake. Sometimes we make Yorkshire puddings, you know, you make a cake over yeah, fire. Yeah, every lesson we make a cake over fire, you know, and it's just it's wow. It's just about showing people that it's just your heat source. Um so it's it's sort of once you can understand a little bit of that, then the world is your oyster essentially, you know, and it takes it way beyond the kind of sausages and burgers and, and so on that we might associate with British barbecuing and the that other one thing, day of the year that yeah exactly. <laughs> that, exactly I mean that's the thing if you if you save your barbecuing experience for the uh, the two perfect days of summer <laughs> it's always going to feel like a slightly challenging difficult thing like any skill the more you do it the more comfortable it becomes and and the more you, you know the better you get every time I light a fire I learn something a little bit new that I can then take to the next thing so the more you do it the better uh Essentially, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm kind of hooked. As you, I can mean, the,
0: of course. I mean, I I feel like because I'm, I'm actually looking out onto my garden right now, and I'm looking at my barbecue. And for me, there is. I think you've kind of just hit the nail on the head. It's it, you know, if if you do something enough times, you become better at it. And yeah. it's not that I have a fear. Of cooking mm. on the barbecue. But I kind of just leave it. And this is going to sound terribly sort of like. Oh well this that's the man's job. But my husband loves the barbecue. And he is that guy in the middle of winter. Who's like I might actually go and like barbecue my steak. And there I am being like. What are you being serious? And he's like but why can't I?
1: Yeah.
0: And he's absolutely right. If he wants to go and cook his steak on the barbecue in Certainly. December.
1: Yeah. Why he not? could. Why not? Um, but
0: I guess. Do you think that people have a slight fear? Because. You know, when you're cooking, I mean, I cook on a flame in terms of like, I've got a gas hob mm-hmm. and, um, I've never been a massive fan of sort of inductions. I've had them mm-hmm. over the years when I've rented properties and things and I've had no choice in the matter, but mm-hmm. I grew up with my mum mm-hmm. cooking on a gas hob and I much prefer it. Just, I just think it's a slightly more, uh, I don't know what word to use, I don't know, like, natural way of cooking, I guess, in a, well, in a sort of I, yeah. kind of way.
1: I mean, I'm with you. I, I dislike induction hobs intensely and the gas is much more responsive. And actually, I do cook inside sometimes. I'm not always outside. <laughs> She's <laughs> not always out. I should say that. I do have a microwave as well. I use occasionally. See, I don't have a microwave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I guess, like, is that... Do people sort of have that fear? Because it's so, like, unconventional in that sort yeah. of, like... You know, you go yeah. home and you cook in the kitchen and you're indoors. I mean, I, I guess also there's that lack of control, or maybe we need to learn how to control the fire.
1: It. That's it. You need to learn how to control it. So you're you 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 have that same control that you would on a gas hob. And that's mm. that's a kind of multifaceted thing. I mean, firstly, obviously you need to have the desire that you you want to do that adventurous cooking and it is more adventurous and that's kind of that's why I like it you know it's kind of it's sort of breaking the rules of what we're supposed to do on a Thursday night you know you just kind of you know so I kind of like it because of that but it's the fire control that's absolutely critical um and with that comes knowing that your the fuel that you're using needs to be your number one ingredient so the the quality of the fuel is absolutely paramount Mm -hmm. and I won't I won't burn anything on my barbecues that's not British or sustainably harvested you know I'm really passionate about promoting good sustainable British lumpwood charcoal It's so important and that makes a big big difference big difference
0: for people who do see summer as sort of barbecue season um do you have any tips for people just sort of on like a real home level they've got you know people coming over on the weekend what are some of the tips to sort of really just get the best out of the experience
1: yeah so in terms of the actual fire itself the barbecue itself start with good fuel absolutely number one um and then don't put the fuel all over the base of your barbecue you know so imagine you've got a round kettle barbecue which is my favorite style of barbecue just put the fuel on one side or or a little strip of the fuel on one side because then you have control of the heat so directly over the fire so the lit fuel is going to be about 500 celsius and then that transfers into the grill bars so that Heat over the fire is super 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 hot. Um, but then off to the side of the fire, you know, you've got this heat gradient. It's getting cooler the further away you move. And just sort of going back to your gas hob um analogy, you know, that's like turning your hob up and down. You're you're moving your food closer and further from the fire so you're controlling the heat on a sort of horizontal plane so that's really important I'd say that's the number one skill that people need to do because if you put fuel everywhere you've got 500 celsius essentially so it's either really frigging hot or it's not hot at all it's like hot or off you know, and that's, that is where we get the, um you know, that dreaded burnt on the outside and raw in the middle yes. scenario, you know, that classic kind of British yeah. barbecue kind of burnt sausage, but it's still kind yeah. of raw in the middle or whatever. <laughs> so, and actually, I think, I think most things are cooked better, not directly over the fire. They're, they're better cooked a little away from the fire so they cook more gently. They're going to take a bit longer. The result's going to be more juicy and more flavourful and you don't get that kind of scorched, burnt thing. Um, having something with a lid is really helpful um, because then you trap in hot air, convection currents. Um, you wouldn't dream of putting a chicken into your oven in your kitchen to roast it but leaving the door wide open. Nobody would even. so true. Nobody, nobody would even think about it, would they? you know that's that you so have true. to shut the door so so why would you expect to cook anything particularly efficiently in a in a barbecue by leaving the lid up you know yeah, yeah, yeah. what you, then what you're essentially doing is heating up the sky and if some food happens to be in the way it gets cooked you know put a lid on you're creating like an oven like environment so that's a good tip um then fuel the other really important thing i think with making it um making it kind of easy and relaxing because barbecues are social occasions. You know, you you want to have people around you. Is be boy scouty about it, you know. Get that prep done. Chop all your veg. Chop all your, you know, make your marinades, make your sauces, line it all up. And then when you're outside cooking, everything's there. You know, it's there mm. and it's all to hand and you're not going, ah, I forgot the olive oil and running back into the kitchen or, you know, whatever. So it's just like, then the actual cooking becomes more enjoyable because you've just got everything there and you're just sort of doing it and you haven't forgot your tongs and you've got you know got your temperature probe lined up and so on and people then want to be around you know so when i'm cooking for friends they're all hanging around and they want to help ah. and they want to join in in a way that they never would if i was cooking on my hob inside um, so it's like a really sort of engaging sociable way to cook um, and I think that's one of its appeals actually is like it's a sort of celebratory thing isn't it
0: absolutely um, god I'm starting to like weirdly salivate and you didn't <laughs> actually mention one piece of food and I'm sort of sitting there like oh my god it's just, it's this it, the smells are like yeah. coming out I don't know yeah. why yeah so I want to just bring it to something else that I mentioned in the intro, hmm. which is your incredible collection of cookbooks. I mean, you said that you've been uh, writing cookbooks since 2011. <clears throat> so that's a lot of cookbooks in quite a short amount of time. That's incredible. Yeah, Um and one book that I would like to just talk about um, because we're sort of living in a world where everyone is becoming a lot more aware of how they eat mm. um, is, the, is the book Chard, which mm. is all about vegetarian barbecue. Mm. And I mean, you're a meat eater. So yeah. what, um, as am I, um,
1: why did you want to write a book about vegetarian barbecue? <laughs> this is a really easy question for me to answer. I, I didn't write that book for vegetarians. I wrote that book for all the big stereotype, central casting, hairy ass blokes who think barbecues <laughs> is just about meat. You know, Good. I wanted I wanted to open their eyes to the power of the whole thing. Um, and you know, just if you think about it, barbecuing is it's almost like the last bastion of the carnivore in many ways. You know, there's no other meal you might invite your friends or your family to where you would expect them to sit down, eat a sausage, a bit of chicken, a rib, you know, a burger, all in one meal, you know, it's like a really old, old fashioned kind of mixed grill sort of thing. And then just have like a bit of limp coleslaw on the side. So, you know, something like a Sunday roast, you know, you really have one well thought about, Joint of meat, and then it's all about all the other bits, you know, and that's what makes it such a special meal. It's all of the thought that goes into the side dishes, and you know, perfecting your roasties and all of that. And it's the same for me. It's the same for barbecuing. You know, I want one. I do eat meat. I love meat, but I'm really particular about the sourcing of my meat. I want one really well-sourced, really well-cooked bit of meat, and then I want a whole host of everything else to go with it. So, charred for me, it was for for showing those kind of carnivores there's a there's another way, and I think you know really we all should be eating less meat but better meat, which is the heart of my new book um and we should be eating a lot more vegetables, and vegetables over fire for me are they're kind of more exciting in a way because If you think about meat, the texture is kind of one dimensional often. Um, And to a certain extent, the taste is one dimensional. But think about Mm. the rainbow of vegetables and the textures you get with different vegetables. You know, it's a bigger picture in a lot of ways in terms of sort of flavour profile and textures and stuff. So I think it it is is more exciting in a lot of ways. Mm, mm.
0: And then moving on, talk to us about the new book that you have.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the new book is all about meat uh it's about cooking good meat over good fire so it's called seared um and it at its heart is a sort of sustainability principle that we we cannot be expecting to eat meat every single day anymore it's just not a way that we can survive on as a, as a sort of species um so it's about buying better meat it's about buying better meat but it's about when you've bought that meat knowing exactly what and why you're being told to cook it as you are so um so whereabouts the muscle is on the animal really dictates how you should cook it all mammals regardless of you know pig sheep cow whatever have it got exactly the same muscle groups so if you know where that muscle is on the animal you can then work out why you should cook it hot and fast, why you should cook it low and slow. So that's a kind of really interesting fact for me that actually that the the kind of anatomy is really important. So it's just giving people kind of knowledge about why they should be cooking meat a certain way, like different cuts and how to sort of achieve the best from that meat. And I guess the hope is that if you give People some help and sort of with the skills of why and where and how, they can then hopefully make some choices. Sometimes to spend a bit more on really well reared meat, knowing that they're not gonna make a mess of it. So that's kind of the the sort of founding principles. And the same goes for fuel. You know, there's that whole sustainability with your fuel, which is absolutely critical with me. And um, you know, shopping in the UK. So the provenance of where we source our food has become much more part of the mainstream narrative of how many of us shop these days. It's important. You know, we know it's important, but too few of us are thinking about where the fuel comes from that we cook it on. And I don't see any point in spending 30 quid on a sort of beautiful grass fed, salt aged piece of steak only to then cook it on charcoal, which will have come from the tropical rainforests of West Africa or South America possibly illegally harvested not made in a nice way definitely made by very very lowly paid workers you know Mm. there's a real disconnect between those two things and and I I very much wanted to sort of tell that tale Uh, uh, but also it's a collection of really amazing recipes I hope as well as all that you know it's It's good stuff do you know what I
0: think I think that it's (laughs) I think in the in the world that we're living in now it's not just enough to just say oh you know I I love this food I love that we 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 have to take time to understand where our food and as you say where our fuel is coming from because Mm. it's just not sustainable um Mm. and Mm. you know we don't live we cannot live how we have done because we ain't gonna be here for a long, very long time in that case. So no, no. Um, it sounds super exciting and perfectly in time uh, for barbecue season, as yeah. I keep banging on about. <laughs> so, one thing I wanna ask you before I get onto Taste of London um, is what is your favourite meat or ingredient to barbecue?
1: if you can choose I'm, i'm literally so greedy i have this conversation with my chef friends it's like pick three ingredients and you could only have them and it's like what would that be i don't know i mean meat i'm a big fan of very properly reared pork you know when pork is reared beautifully it's a tremendous thing you know so sort of succulent and lovely and um big fan of pork uh i love spices really love spices um and herbs and and big flavours, you know, so it, be, it would be super difficult for me to pick one thing I liked best um, mm. in terms of what sort of meat I like cooking. I guess the cuts that excite me are those very tough, hard working cuts like shoulders, um, kind of shanks, you know, all that slow and slow stuff. That That's the kind of meat I love eating most.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm dribbling. I've got to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, I mean, aside from wanting you on the podcast anyway, we are here to talk about Taste of London, which is yeah. coming up, which is super exciting. It is. And uh, this year is their 18, uh, 18th anniversary, which I cannot believe. So I wanted to know what your relationship has been like with the festival over the years. How long have you been uh, working with them?
1: I think I've done... I've been working for the last three or four years. So a combination of the summer ones and the winter ones um, and then um, doing kind of demos and stuff. Uh, And then last year, at the winter festival, I was really thrilled that they asked me to cook at it. So I took my team of chefs with me and we we cooked a dish and it was just it was just um, really, really cool.
0: And what would you say over the past few years has been some of your best moments?
1: Well, do you know what? When you're there working, you you're just certainly when I was cooking, it was we were slammed. You know, I didn't really get to see any of the other festival, but I guess the best thing is just the absolute buzz of the whole kind of place. You know, it's humming, it's really humming. And um, but this year, at the, for the summer one, I'm doing two separate demos, so. Hopefully I'll have some time in between those to kind of go and hang out a bit more. But I, I probably will, you'll find me by the fire because that's the nicest place to hang out.
0: Do you know what's funny? <laughs> so when I, I, I was at, my, my first year at Taste was last year and I was hosting one of the um, chef schools yeah. and everyone kept banging on about this fire pit and sort of because it was such a bit of a weird year last year, as we all know, we don't need to talk about that. um, I sort of was sort of so transfixed in what I was doing. I didn't want to mess things up. So I sort of didn't actually do much on the first day because I just wanted to like get my bearings. Mm. And the funny thing about the fire pit is that you can smell it before you can see it. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to follow the smell. Yeah. And yeah. there is such a vibe. Yeah. Oh my God. I was I was just standing there and I was watching everyone, like all these massive slabs of meat and just yeah. the music and the the conversation. And it's just so cool. And it really has become like a central um, kind of like a, a little like tourist attraction inside yeah. Taste of London. Um, so I know that you've said that you're going to be doing a couple of demos. Could you give us a little sneak preview as to what you might be um, what you might be doing?
1: <laughs> no, because I haven't thought about it. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I suffice to say it will probably be a couple of really of my favourite recipes from the new book. Um, okay but I like to surprise people it will be okay. it'll be something delicious um it will be something that uh, I know will be easy to share because I know how much people like to have little nibbles at, at Taste of London uh there'll be no doubt lots of herbs and spices and stuff involved um but beyond that I haven't made a plan but okay, be good. So we're all just going to have
0: to wait. and see. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to buy those tickets, guys, and get yourself down in order to see what she's going to make. I yeah. see what you've done there, Genevieve, and I like it. <laughs> um, and just sort of back to you and sort of food. I, I want to know, what is your relationship with food like in general?
1: Uh, okay, so, I mean, I cook professionally now all the time. And, and, you know, on days when I've really just been cooking kind of all day, I sort of had enough of cooking, you know, so that those are the days I reach for cheese. I think if I didn't, if I could only eat one thing for my entire life, it would be cheese. Um, so quite often I find that if I've been cooking a lot for work, I don't cook so much for pleasure anymore. Um, obviously, I still need to f- sort of feed the fam and stuff, which is fine. So um, but I'm constantly, you know, I, I think I said it at the beginning, you know, I'm quite greedy and I I'm that's a good co- thing that's I'm just a good thing, constantly thinking about like what the next thing might be and I dream a lot in recipes so people often ask me how I go about writing recipe books and, and often the answer is I just sort of I have like a dream about tastes and flavours and stuff which sounds a bit weird probably to most people but um you know I can kind of almost taste it before I've made it Uh, so that's how it begins for me so I think yeah greed is my relationship to food Um, uh, I'd like people to cook for me a bit more often actually I hardly ever get cooked for
0: right I think think that was a little public service announcement (laughs) Uh, to the family if anybody would like to invite me for dinner that'd be nice Genevieve, you're more than welcome to come to mine, but I'm telling you right now that I'm not getting the barbecue out because I'm too nervous. So we'll just—I'll make you something on on my gas stove. That's
1: fine. I'm happy. You know, I like fish finger sandwiches actually.
0: Oh, I'll make you a fish finger sandwich. And I mean, I know that you say that you don't really cook much for pleasure, but when you are I do. Cooking... I mean, I do cook for pleasure. No, I know, I know. But it, you know, it, now it has become sort of your job and your career. Yeah, what are some yeah. of
1: your specialities at home? Uh, I guess one of the things that I like doing most, if I'm cooking for pleasure, is just throwing open the fridge and going, yeah, 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 that, that, and that, and that. Chuck it in, bish, bash, bosh, and not having to kind of document what I'm doing because, you know, when you're cooking and testing a recipe, you probably know this. You've got to kinda you know gotta follow it, you've got to write it down. And my natural way, if I didn't have to do that, would just be to make it up all the time. You know, I don't I find it really difficult to follow my even my own recipes (laughs) because I'm a bit of a natural rebel and I just like to go Nah, we don't use it like that let's do it like this and sort of, sort of experimenting and stuff so yeah my pleasure cooking now involves just like chucking stuff together and seeing what happens
0: that's that's to be honest with you I think that's how I really like to cook deep down yeah, yeah. it's just I I don't know I feel like I'm more inspired that way because then you're like oh okay well I've got that didn't realize that was in the back of the fridge we'll take that
1: exactly right yeah it's exactly that
0: so, I finish my conversations with a few quick fire questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what is the craziest food you've ever eaten? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I had, I had to eat crocodile once. I wasn't very keen on that. Uh, it was a bit weird. Okay. F- like fishy chicken. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was on a shoot in australia when i was in my old job um uh i i don't generally go for crazy things i mean i don't you know i don't sort of try and eat things because they're wacky i sort of i kind of go for taste i suppose i don't know that's a rubbish answer. no that's 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 that's
0: an acceptable (laughs) that's an acceptable answer next question what Mm. has been your most memorable meal
1: Okay, so this one goes back to my honeymoon. I would have been married for 20 years this August, and we wow. went. Yeah, I know. we went to Tobago, um, and we stayed. We totally roughed it, backpacks, and we stayed in all these little shacks around the island. And um and the most memorable meal was it was my birthday, and um, the fishermen. It was just getting dark, and the mozzies were out. And there was all, sort of all, all sorts of biters, and then. Um, uh and the fishermen started pulling in their boats with tuna onto the beach where we were staying and we went me and my husband went and bought two big thick slabs of tuna directly off the oh. fishermen he, he cut it off the fish in front of us and it was still warm basically and then we went back to our little hut and that we had a little kind of fire pit thing um and um, my husband nipped next door to the beach bar and got two bowls of chips and a couple of big beers. And we cooked the tuna, ate the chips, drank the beer and watched the sun go down. That
0: and that's is magical. Yeah, it's kind of
1: my idea of heaven. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm so far removed from sort of pretentious food as you can possibly get. And that was, you know, 20 years later that I reckon that's one of my best meals. Oh, I love that. I, I bet <laughs> it
0: was the best bloody Tasting oh, tuna of your life. <laughs> yeah, it really
1: was. Yeah, so good. So good.
0: Okay, my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps. Yeah. What is your favorite flavor of crisps and
1: why? Oh, I'm really boring with crisps. I just like salty ones. Salty crisps. Really?
0: Okay, so are we talking like. A ready salted walkers or like a kettle chips, like a bit thicker?
1: Do you know what? Even or, either or, really. I mean, if I'm going kind of like, you know, hungover, Chris, it's probably pickled onion monster munch i
0: reckon i knew that you and i were going to be friends <laughs> that's my fa- that is my favorite packet of crisps how do you eat in the entire them do you, world? do you like
1: do you like nibble the feet off individually that's what i do I sort of well the,
0: the, the thing is they're quite messy crisps aren't they so if you <laughs> yes. just bite a little bit it's like this puff of dust goes everywhere so i'll be honest with you because it i'm also home. greedy i just shove them all in my mouth mm, and just yeah. but they are my hangover crisp as well yeah they're good for hangovers yeah oh they're amazing sure. Yeah. And then they kind of like permeate all over your body, and you yeah, just can't yeah. get rid of the smell. I mean, they're they're fabulous on in, in lots of different ways. <laughs> um, what food sums up happiness for you?
1: Uh, roast chicken. Nice
0: answer. Never had that answer. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's like kind of it's kind of family, isn't it? Mm. But probably cooked on the barbecue, of course. Mm. Yeah, roast chicken. Okay.
0: These um two quick fire questions are um on behalf of Taste. What are you most excited about this year?
1: Just kind of praying for good weather and lots of time to hang out with all the beautiful fiery fiery people that I know I'm going to see at Taste and engaging with all of the lovely people who've come to listen and talk. You know, it's the thing I missed um during the pandemic was not having the festivals where you can actually meet the people who've bought your books because as an author it's quite lonely you know you're just sort of sat on your own so actually it's really lovely when somebody comes up and says oh I've got your book and I cooked so and so and you can have a really nice chat about what they cooked and how they did it and so yeah just kind of meeting people really.
0: And the other question is is there anything that you're looking forward to eating?
1: Nah, just whatever comes my way. <laughs> whatever she'll comes... take it all she'll take, take it all, it. I'll it's I'll fine. Just take she'll it. just take it. Just take so it, make yeah.
0: sure that if anyone sees I just offer yeah, her something. Give me something.
1: <laughs> I'm not I'm not that bothered about kind of sweet stuff. So yeah, just bring me okay. nice savory snacks. Lovely. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll throw
0: something your way, don't worry. No, no, no. <laughs> Final question. Yeah.
1: Live to eat or eat to live? Oh my god, do you need to even ask me that? <laughs> really? It's obvious, isn't
0: it? Well, the fact that you said pickled onion monster munch is your favourite crisp. I know what the answer is. It's live to eat. Yeah, yeah, of course it is.
1: Yeah.
0: And, well, G- Genevieve, thank you so much for joining me on this for very sure. special episode. Where can everyone find you um, on social and whatnot?
1: So Genevieve Eats uh, on Instagram. Uh, that's how you find me you'll find me people will find me if they look me there up there we go that's it you can mm. find her yeah. I'm
0: really looking forward to finally meeting you in person in yeah. um, at the festival yeah. and uh, if anyone uh, doesn't know where to find her she'll probably be by the open fire yeah will <laughs> thank you so much Genevieve for, uh, for joining me uh, until next time guys yeah. bye bye Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at crazysexyfood and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time, bye!